0: Welcome everyone to this week's very special edition and live taping
1: of the Five Things Podcast. Your weekly digest of everything happening in social and digital, brought to you by Social Media Week and Gray. I am joined as always by my co-host Kenny Gold, the head of social at Gray and the hardest working person during SMW1, Social
2: Media Week's virtual conference series. Kenny, welcome to the show. Welcome to this week's recording of the Five Things Podcast, recording live from wherever we are right now. I'm um, in New Jersey, Toby's wherever he is. And we are joined by two brand new guests who will be here to
1: share their wisdom with our esteemed audience.
2: Uh, we are joined by Gray's Executive Strategy Director, Beth Rolfs, who I'm very excited to have, one of my favorite colleagues. And Matt Navara a
1: well-known social media commentator and business consultant and the host of the very popular weekly podcast, Geek Out with Matt Navarra, and the founder of the hugely successful The Social Media Geek Out Group for Social Media Professionals on Facebook. Beth, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having us. Thanks
0: for having
3: us.
0: So this week's topics. This week's five things we have: Facebook launching workplace tools
1: that will be taken by Kenny, and then Facebook also is launching e-commerce shops for Facebook and Instagram. Matt will walk us through that, and then Nike reminds us that our greatest comebacks are around the corner. Beth will be walking us through that, and then we have Twitter launching don't at me feature which I will be introducing and talking about. And finally, to wrap up this week's show, Kenny will be talking about Reddit launching an ad school. All right, let's jump in, Kenny. Please take it away.
2: I'm the first thing. Um, And what I'm going to talk about is Facebook launching workplace tools, which is a really, really fascinating and and smart move for the Facebook team uh, coming out of everything that we are dealing with right now with COVID-19. They are actually releasing a range of new tools for collaboration in their workplace function, uh, which will include things like messenger rooms. They are giving you unlimited time to be uh, in the rooms, which is a direct hit on our friends at Zoom. Uh, The links that you use to share with people are going to be disappearing for security purposes. They've enhanced their live producer tools so people can broadcast. There's going to be live captioning in multiple languages, which is great if you are collaborating uh, across the world with your colleagues in other places. But all in all, a really, really smart move from the folks at Facebook Uh, to uh, bring workplace collaboration tools and get directly at the point of what Google, Zoom, Slack, Teams have all been jumping on, but in only a way that Facebook would know how to do. So now opening it up for discussion to uh, our friends here that have joined the podcast.
4: Oh, well, I think, you know, this stuff is... um could be really boring because it's dry. It's like slack stuff. Things that are kind of like B2B B B tend to be less exciting than how we consume side stuff. But for me, uh, workplace is a really good tool it's familiar it's easy to get into um, but the bits that most excite me or most interest me probably are the stuff that's around AR and VR which is probably a few steps ahead of some of the announcements that they've made in the last couple of weeks so you know I think Boz who's a VP of uh, VR and AR at Facebook has talked before about kind of having uh, these kind of co-work spaces which are virtual and being able to move things around kind of like the old you know, min- what's that film? Minority Report style in front of your face and all that kind of stuff That far more exciting to me. But, but these things here, you know, in the current climate with working from home, it's, uh, I think it's much uh, needed and uh, I think people really uh, can appreciate it.
0: Love Everything. that. So our second thing this week is five uh, Facebook launching e-commerce shops for Facebook and Instagram. Matt Navarro,
4: take it away. Yeah, so this is something that's been probably burning and bubbling up for some time. You know, this isn't the first time that Facebook has launched something to do with shopping and shopping features. You know, we've had Marketplace, which is kind of more secondhand goods, kind of your eBay of the Facebook world since 2016. I think it launched. Um, so this isn't a new foray for them. But I think um, what they've done now is really bring together all of the bits of the platform, whether it's Messenger and uh, and uh, WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook all into a a space so we can now actually create online shops which actually are more than just a like one trick pony they've got actually a fully fledged functioning checkout that everyone can engage with so um, it's been built um, with third parties so they're not doing it entirely on their own so the likes of um, I think there's a couple of companies in there that's uh, Shopify BigCommerce Woo they're all part of setting up the platform um, and I think some of the features they've talked about bringing on stream for these shops is uh, as well as live shopping with QVC style as well um, so there's lots of bits too it um, I think overall it's, it to me, it's just an obvious extension of what they were already doing. Um, and it's, they've expedited it because of the pandemic, uh, as well. And I suspect slightly because they're panic stricken around the kind of amount of money that small businesses are going to have to be able to spend on their, on the ad platform. But, uh, all of this stuff is, is reasonably important, I would say, considering the fact that, you know, Amazon has been chipping away at their, um, ad revenue for some time. Um, and this pitch pits them up against Amazon in, in another space beyond on just the the advertising side of things, uh, I think one company, one uh, Dutch. Uh German bank actually said they think this will bring in 30 um, billion dollars in uh, incremental revenue. So this isn't any small venture by them. But, um, one thing they're going to have to be slightly more careful with, of course, is, is data protection and privacy and also the, you know, antitrust stuff. You know, is this another area that Facebook's going to dominate and, and then be accused of having a monopoly in? So uh, a mixed bag, but overall, I think it's going to be uh, a positive outcome for them in, in the long run. It's, it's too early to say uh, how many shots will Take
0: advantage of. I mean, what's interesting about this is, first of all, obviously, Facebook going after Amazon. That's kind of like a, sort of a fresh new story that we can kind of talk about. Uh, also, I think it's been a while since we've even sort of brought up uh, the subject of antitrust and monopolies. I think, you know, COVID-19 has been very generous to Facebook in, in terms of changing the narrative or changing the conversational focus away from some of the more negative headlines that they were having to deal with on a kind of daily basis. But my question, sort of coming back to you, Matt, but also to Beth and Kenny is, does this spell doom for anyone? I mean, look, no one really cares if someone takes a, a, a bite out of Amazon's business, right? But does this spell doom Spell doom for anyone? Is, it, is this an entirely positive story or, or is there some, some potential downsides that we're not, not really thinking about? I,
2: I can tell you who it doesn't spell doom for marketers who are going to understand more and more and more what drives consumer behavior when it comes to purchasing and that is what facebook's bread and butter is is being able to tell marketers what people are spending and doing and what they're interested in so you know beth's job might have just gotten a little bit more fun because it's another data source and a new way in for us to understand you know who we're marketing to But uh, on the whole, you know, I don't think this didn't kill Amazon and uh, maybe like brick and mortar, but Doom was already spelled for them. So,
5: yeah. The only... Players that I think of that could be impacted by this are like the Etsy's of the world, or even like Squarespace. I know when I started my side hustle business for a second there, um, I did a lot of research into like, how I would get into that world and Squarespace was kind of the obvious go to but then you had to set up the e commerce on the back and there was a lot of kind of complication there. So I could see that being... Not the best news for some of those platforms that people that you know knit pot holders at home and sell them online uh, go to.
4: I think also you know the users themselves as um, individuals have also got to sort of weigh up the the value proposition here. You know it's a back back to the classic thing with Facebook is they will give you something that will make your life maybe slightly easier or more entertaining, but in return they want to know a lot more about you. It's more about your transactions, it's more about your buying and consumer behavior. And all of these pieces of uh, information about you are, are very valuable. And so in the current climate over the last few years, people's awareness of the value of their data and this, the, how much they trust Facebook is very much uh, a big question in many people's minds. So I think that side of things will be interesting. And I also think that you know, we've seen with the publishing industry before that if you put all your eggs in one basket and you rely on one giant player and they control a lot of the data and, in- and insights into your potentially your business and can control you know, a large portion of your income stream, uh, that's a, a risk you take. And then Facebook generally are not a company you can rely upon to do the
5: right thing by you i think yeah that was kind of the first place my head went with that too like naturally is the data privacy piece of this and how a company that struggled with at least reputation if not just factually around data privacy um, is going to navigate this new world of e-commerce and gathering even more data which then will likely be sold to marketers or other companies.
0: All right. Um, I think we can move on to our third thing. Beth, take it away with Nike reminding us our greatest comebacks are around the point.
5: Yeah. So Nike put out their new ad, um, which is all about the comeback. So it starts with going kind of through some of these really epic... Um, downturns or fails that um, really famous sports heroes have gone through and then it kind of comes out on the um, end side of wow, what a comeback they made we're going to make a comeback through all this COVID stuff and what I thought was really interesting about it is I am not a sports fan I'm like the yay sports person at a table um, so when the ad started I was like okay I'm here for this. I love Wine and Kennedy, love Nike, what advertiser doesn't. Um, But was really touched by how emotional it made me feel, even not as an avid sports fan and really not understanding a lot of the history, probably behind some of the moments that they were pulling out. And it was just really powerful how they found that human truth of we all love a comeback, whether it's in sports or in life. Um, And then they did, which I loved, call out that right now we're going through something so much bigger than any playoffs or sports tournament, but we can come back from this. And it was just a lovely way to show one, uh, industry that we all miss sports will not me, but the world misses and then the power of a comeback and use kind of that narrative in a really hopeful, positive way. way. And it made me (laughs) tear up at the end.
2: I mean, I'm getting like emotional hearing you talk about it because you know, this is why we got into advertising
4: Mm
2: -hmm. is to, is to tell brand stories in ways where we actually touch people's souls and and bridge connections between what a brand stands for and what's happening in society. Um, You know, at Gray and not to be overly shilly, but, you know, we talk about living at the intersection of culture and behavior. And uh, at a time like this for, for, why it's so easy for Nike. Their brand purpose is so strong and they live it so intensely. And it is in the heart of every athlete and every fan in the world. And, and it just is it cuts through the noise of the montages and the same ads that we've been seeing over and over again. And it just does it in a meaningful way. It is a masterclass in uh brand purpose and living your brand purpose and telling your brand story. It, it's just beyond compelling and it translates on every channel and it's so nice so uh yeah yeah, not to be too sappy well nike
4: Nike, you know, famously just, you know, one of the best at uh, storytelling and uh, hitting with impact with their their advertising. So it's no surprise that um, they probably hit and run again with this kind of campaign. Um, I think, you know, some of the themes that you'll notice, or I've certainly noticed in in advertising campaigns in the last two months with lockdown for COVID is, is that, um, you know, looking back, that nostalgic, what it used to be and and how it can be better again. And we're in this together. Um, If you combine those kind of themes, of advertising, combine that with kind of like um, the, the future of what's going to happen and how we can you know, get together and we can, a community and all of those kind of aspects. Uh, and then you put Nike's signature on it and uh, and their gloss, uh, it's a bit like Apple. It's very hard for them to, to fail. So, uh, no surprises that they've made a great advertising campaign and uh, it's a good one.
0: Right. And also, right. Uh,
4: you know, our, our greatest
0: comeback in the context of COVID 19 is going to be made possible as long as we're all elite athletes, right? Yeah.
5: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that was uh,
0: I'm sorry, Beth, go on, you jump in and let's get on to number four.
5: I just think that was part of the beauty of it all, really, was that it did take it so higher level and it's not about the little micro moments at home, but it's it's a very unifying message of essentially we're all in this together and our comeback is against the disease versus all the little things that we're missing in life.
0: Well said, Beth. Uh, okay, let's get into number four. Twitter launches don't at the don't at me feature. All right, this is a fun one for me. So we actually, I think, covered some aspects of this feature some weeks ago uh, on the five. I should probably say some yeah. weeks ago now, on the five in podcast. But this feature is now rolling out. It has a name, um, and I think in many ways it's one of the more controversial things that. Twitter has rolled out in terms of like uh, a new feature or a new update to the kind of product or platform. So the headline is that Twitter has been trying to diffuse toxicity on the platform. They've been working on this major problem for a number of years, and I think without a huge amount of success. And the "Don't At Me" feature is designed to give people more control over their content and, of course, the subsequent conversations that happen around the content. Right. So let's let's break it down. Uh, so this week, um, I should said last week, Twitter announced that it would give users the power to silence any replies on individual tweets. The feature is called Don't At Me, named after the playful phrase people often use when sharing a provocative floor on Twitter. Uh, again, Twitter basically stealing most of its new ideas from the community to actually come up with them in the first place. Nothing new there. Um, so now Twitter users can make it official by selecting Um, uh, to set a limit to the replies to a particular tweet, uh, either to no one or only followers or people that were mentioned in the tweet. Uh, The feature is currently being tested with a number of limited users, the company said. All right. So here's the thing. Three things in fact I want to quickly touch on. One, let's talk about intended and unintended consequences because like no one really knows how this is going to work as much user testing as they may sort of do before they roll it out to the masses. There are consequences to these types of features that could have a profound impact on the way the service is used, right? Twitter is. And it's historically always been an open network of communication or an open network of information exchange. And so this changes that in a pretty substantial way. Also, let's talk about loopholes and workarounds and all the ways in which people will circumvent this particular feature to still continue to act um, in antisocial or toxic ways. Um, and then finally, you know, I think there's an ongoing debate that we've been having for many, many years about the value of like open um, versus closed networks. And I think there's always been a place for open and the context of the, the service utility that sort of provides. Um, but of course, there is also a place for closed networks. Um, I don't know whether you can necessarily be both, Um, but I'm, I'm
4: willing to open it up to you guys to hear what you think. Matt, I'm sure you have strong opinions on this. Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, so I had got access to the feature. I, I used it when it was launched last week. Um, And uh, like many people who had access early on, um, you know, we played some games with it sort of kind of say, you know, if you reply to me now, we'll get $100, all this sort of stupid, cranky stuff. But in terms of the real day-to-day stuff, um, I think that the, the biggest consensus of opinion from people that replied to the tweet about the feature, to me anyway, was that this feels like another feature for privileged users, verified users, people that are like, you're Donald Trump of this world who don't want to have that come back and want to limit you know the ability for others to respond to to things that are false or uh, malicious or whatever else um, take that as you weigh I don't, I don't know whether that's a fair comment I think it's probably to some degree is. Um, but you said about loopholes, you know, of course, people are just gonna dunk people by, you know, quote retweeting them. So uh, it may not show in the reply stream, but ultimately you're still kind of um getting in the chance a right to respond. Um I think my only other thought on it really is it's gonna take a very brave brand. A marketing, advertising, brand out there, like your Coca Colas in this world, or whatever, to turn on the ability the, or turn off the ability for people to reply and engage. Especially if there's a crisis or uh, PR disaster for a brand, and they try to use that feature, I think they're just going to be torn to shreds. So uh, right. good luck, good to good those luck. I, to with the first brand
2: I am, I and Matt, you hit the nail on the head, and and for me, the thing that drives me crazy is we don't have a uh, we don't have a drought of channels to communicate brand messaging on My question is, and where I always go with this is if you're not up to play by the rules of the channel, go somewhere else, tweeting without commenting and turning preventing people from responding, you might as well put out a billboard or a TV spot. So my, my comment back to those people who are going to use this feature is go somewhere else like this channel is made for us to be able to have a dialogue so i would say to that though on
4: on the case of the people that are and you know uh, who are constantly abused on the platform for written reasonable uh, statements of opinion or because they're of a minority group or any other reason that people can gang up on somebody i think this is a really powerful tool and i think it's a very positive and good tool so there is a, a balance between I think it being abused and used in a in a way that's probably not going to do the brand or the person well. But I do think for for people that struggle with being kind of abused on the platform with trolls and things, I think this is a very good step. So I think it, you know it's ways of both for both sides.
5: Yeah. And but on the other side of that, the people that maybe are held back from being toxic in their original posts because of the fear of backlash now kind of have an unchecked voice. So that's an interesting side of it. And also from like a data strategy perspective, Twitter is such a wealth of information in terms of being able to assess kind of the cultural reaction to certain posts or comments or topics. Um, so selfishly, there's a part of me that's like, no, don't take away my data. How am I gonna know how the world feels about these things if I can't creep in the comments?
0: Fair enough, well said. Uh, let's going to the fifth thing. Kenny, take it away with Reddit launching an ad
2: school. Yes, so Reddit has launched an ad school and it is a 12-week program with expert teachers. One time per week, 50 students per class, Unbelievable opportunity to get a quick hit education from the experts when it comes to copy, art, social, media planning, data, strategy, account, PR, brand building, film, portfolio development, any of the things that you would expect to get at ad school, you can get here in this awesome program from Reddit. It does not surprise me that this incredible feature would be featured on a place like Reddit, where you could go to learn and engage with experts about amazing and awesome things. To me, it is a, uh, especially right now during Corona, uh, where a lot of our friends and colleagues in the industry, um, some who are quite senior, who we admire um, for unfortunate reasons, have been furloughed or let go. This presents an opportunity for advertising students to learn amazing things from the best experts in the field. Um, I do quite a bit of uh, guest lecturing with the Advertising Education Foundation and the Made Intern Program, and those students are dying to learn more right now, especially as they are graduating from school and they don't have jobs yet, and they wanna know how to deal with the trials and tribulations of entering this industry. Um, Reddit has found a need uh, in our community and has found a way to deliver expert opinions and information in a a very digestible way. So as always, kudos to our friends at Reddit for building something like this.
4: Well, I was just going to say that this isn't new because, of course, you know, Twitter flight schools existed for ages. we had Facebook blueprint that's existed for ages. Also, you know, these um, these initiatives aren't, again, not entirely kind of charitable and, and great just because they're being nice people. They need marketers and advertisers to know how to use their platform. So, giving them the tools and, and, and courses and information to teach them to so they can use it is an obvious win-win for everybody. Uh, and I think particularly for, for Reddit, because I think if you were to speak to your average social media manager from a brand the platform that's least familiar to them is probably i would say pinterest and probably reddit um and so compared to facebook and others it's it, it makes sense that reddit now is catching up so I, I applaud the fact that they've got it and it's great that it's free I think the content i'm sure i haven't used it but it's going to be good but to me it just feels like they're slightly lagged behind and they're playing catch up um and uh yeah, I yeah. Think yeah. This I, is I, the
2: wait the, the strength in it is R slash advertising as a sub, as a as a sub has been very active, and the fact that it was a thought from within the community that then took shape and has materialized in the way it has shows the strength of the Reddit community, especially in these different areas. So, uh, you know, I wonder who else is going to follow suit. But I love that it was community born and platform adopted.
5: And it's community graded as well, right? So I think that's a very interesting part of just like the education process, the idea of getting a lecture, getting an assignment, and then having the broader class and community kind of give feedback on what these students have learned um, through the process. Kind of, it's a little bit coiny blockchain to me, that group think.
0: Well, I think Matt you made a really important point, uh, building off of what Beth is just saying, which is that um, I think Reddit Pinterest and I'm trying to think about whether any of the patterns have come up in our previous conversations, Penny. Um but the platforms basically represent um huge opportunity for marketers, but marketers aren't on the platform, so there's like a huge like knowledge gap. I and mean, we we literally had this conversation last week about last week. I think
3: yeah.
0: Twitch is yeah. Yeah, Twitch is probably another reasonable example. You know, TikTok interestingly, much less so because everyone is like basically on it or at least excited about it because the barrier to entry is just so low. You can get on and just like you know, lose a few hours so easily. But, but, but my question for you, Matt, though, um, in, in, in this context is, um, you know, what advice do you give marketers when they're looking at all of the various different platform opportunities? I mean, you're such, you're someone who's so darling, or so immersed in every new Emerging trend, every new product, feature, platform update. Um, there's probably nothing that's really happening, or at least coming down the pipe that you're not aware of. But when you talk to other marketers, they, they might get super excited about like the latest new platform or, or the hot platform or the one that's like growing really quickly. But if they're not on it, they're not going to necessarily understand it. So, what advice do you generally give to marketers? You know, as they try and like, navigate the, the, the various different platform opportunities?
4: Um, I think that. Kind of the two things which kind of balance each other, which is kind of finding, uh, finding the right balance between experimentation and testing of new things and being slightly taking a risk, experimenting, not being afraid of failing on it and trying something that maybe you didn't think. Was aimed at you as a platform. Maybe you know you wouldn't typically use Reddit to to, um, to promote something that you're working on or to engage with the community, but certainly to um, experiment in areas where you would normally say, "Oh no, it's not for us." But then balancing that with, of course, you know realizing what the size of your resources in terms of financial or, or skill set, and balancing it so that you don't end up over kind of uh, trying to do everything on every platform and spreading yourself too thinly. So I think that came from the next web where I, where I worked there. You know uh, Boris, who's on. Twitter is at uh, Boris. You know, one of the first things he said to me when coming from uh, the government working in the you know, Prime Minister's office and things was like, you know, take risks, tr- experiment, try anything until the point you get sued in court. And then when we get to that stage, then just pull back. You know, and then I know you've tested to the limits. So I think it, it, that people just don't experiment are slightly too risk averse these days, and, and that's something that I always try and suggest to people.
0: That's great. It's great advice. All right, we have actually a question uh from a member of our audience. I'm gonna bring them on and make them live. Erica Perry, welcome to the hey. show. Good to see you. What is your question for, for our for our five things group?
3: Yeah, so I want to go back actually to the Twitter um notion. And you guys alluded specifically, clearly there's plenty of pros and cons of it. But one thing that really has been sticking with me in terms of this news is the fact that, you know, we have block you, all these things. And, you know, a lot of people, myself included, would state that, you know, on the surface level, there's, a lot of the time, these don't really get to the core issues. You think of, you know, digital empathy, which is lacking amongst standard gem- demographics. You have... Um, issues around trust and what we actually can consider reliable information, uh, especially now more than ever. What do you, I mean, what is the role you guys see? You know, is this really going to be another case where this is not really going to get at this core, you know, some of these core issues? And also, you know, is this also giving way to, you know, people just silencing opinions just for the sake of silencing them, even those expressed thoughtfully or that are backed by, you know, that that are fact-checked.
4: Uh, I think personally on that one, that those that use it inappropriately to to silence um, replies in a, in a way that I think an average right-thinking person, if there is, you know, such a general person around. Sees things um, is just uh, on, on a on a you know, on the route to be kind of beaten um, beaten up on Twitter for doing so. So I think that there, there's no gains really in the longer term. Maybe in the short term it, it limits and stifles conversation around something you don't want people to talk about. But in the long term, people will find the loopholes. They will quote retweet. They will post in other places, and and it will just become something that will backfire on them. And I think then the people that do use it for appropriate reasons because they're saying things that are. Maybe controversial, but uh, need to be said, or are things that people typically jump on because you know it's an easy target for for trolls. Um, I think people, the right, you know, again, right-thinking people, which is a kind of a really weird sentence to say. I think people will see that that it was used in an appropriate way. So I, I don't, I'm not so fearful of people using it as long as it's used in the right way. I think they'll get on fine with it.
5: Yeah, I would agree with that. I also, I'm interested to see what the adoption rate's going to be like. I. I have a feeling that we'll kind of get that pendulum swing where we get that upfront of now I can say whatever I want without anyone commenting. And then it'll kind of right size into the appropriate post being silences.
4: I've sat here for a week trying to think since it's came available to me. And every time I was thinking, I'm going to use it. I really want to use this feature. I'm going to use it. And then I think, but I really want the reply and I want to understand right. what people think and stuff. And then I couldn't think of a scenario in the past or currently where I personally would find that I'd want to use it. So I think it's going to be used maybe far less than people think it might be uh, for the reasons we've outlined here. So uh, I'm not so sure it'll be a big tool in people's arsenal. I think they'll they'll kind of use it in the last line of resort. Yeah,
0: yeah. the challenge is that you know all, all Twitter users are not created equally um, and you have essentially every imaginable type of person and brand slash organization using the service, each of whom has a different agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I agree with you for the average user, particularly those of us who are not particularly controversial or Rarely get ourselves in like hot water in regards to the things that we say, I and mean, I think I've been in like two or three, you know, conversations on Twitter, and the entire time I've been using it that I kind of regret being part of, um, because I'm just generally like not a very controversial person uh, on Twitter. Like you know, on Twitter, of course I am, but um, but, but my point is that that you know there are going to be certain organisations, um, particularly those that want to. Push extremist views or personalities that want and know full well they can, you know, stir the pot, get headlines, um, can create controversy, um, but without necessarily being, you know, a, ba- a backlash that they are um, drawn to. There is a, a positive flip side. I, I've read a lot recently about. How celebrities in particular, and and this isn't actually like limited to to Twitter per se. I think it was a little bit of this on Instagram, although there are much better tools, I think, on Instagram for for safeguarding or putting more protection around um, around, um, commentary. But I think, um, you know, a number of these celebrities have talked about, you know, just basically just shutting down their Twitter because it was just too overwhelming. It was too much. It was too difficult for them to be able to. Engage, you know, in all the commentary. It's a little bit like sort of reading your own reviews, you know, after your kind of first night performance in the theater. It's like, do you really want to read the reviews? Is it really going to be helpful? Um, and I think that's a, a big area that where, where people, you know, might be sort of more encouraged to come back to the platform, share a little bit of themselves, even if it is just sort of self-promotional updates or broadcasts, um, but, but without necessarily having to kind of like be drawn into the backlash.
4: I tell you what, though, I think Trump will be the first person us to use it. Don't we all think? Come on, he's, he's, oh, he's yeah. right for it. Come on. Or do you think it's too controversial for him to use it? Uh, you know, very
0: possibly, or not at all. It's hard to say because um, someone, and there aren't really very many people on his team that that, that have a particular specialism in social media, um, as it turns out. But um, you know, there might be there might be a reason why he, he will keep it on. Um, particularly in terms of the, the spread of, of, of his misinformation, um, or, or whether that it would in any way sort of be restrictive to um, the ways in which people engage with his content, whether they do so negatively or not. Um, the, the other thing, though, I think, I think that's interesting is if, if Twitter brought out a feature whereby he could somehow filter only the responses that were basically um, reinforcing like what he already kind of believes then I think you would definitely <laughs> offer that for that feature no doubt um, right. all right so listen Erica thank you so much for your question really appreciate you jumping on the show we are out of time and I want to take this opportunity to Thank this week's guests. Beth, thank you so much for joining us. Matt, you were superb. Really appreciate you joining, especially given the time zone that you are in right now. (laughs) Thanks also to my co-host, Kenny Gold. All right, everyone. This has been fun. Let's do it again soon. And finally, thanks, of course, to our wonderful audience for joining us today for the 5 Things Podcast. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks, Tobe.
1: The Five Things Podcast is produced by Andrew Petit, Grace McDougall, Joey Scarrillo, John Dillon, and Al Manorino, and recorded at Townhouse Studios. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Social Media Week is a leading conference and industry news platform that curates and shares insights, emerging trends, and best practices with the world's smartest digital marketers. Gray is the exclusive global creative insights partner for social media week. Check out more at gray.com.